Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Where the Dark Corners Are. hostess. Tonight, we're going to conclude our third and final part of Mommy Not-So-Dearest. And with me tonight is Brutus. Yeah, Brutus's triumphant return. (laughs) So, for the first segment of Mommy Dearest, we talked about an abusive mother, Joan Crawford. In our second segment, we talked about a serial killer, you know, Killing mommy, uh, um, well, mommy killing, killing it, I guess. <laughs> killing it. And for our third segment, mommy not so dearest is kind of about mother's outlandish, out of control, crazy yes. behavior and its effects on children. And one child in particular is Mr. Ed Gein. Yes. So we're kind of. We're going to talk about how she basically Norman Bates his ass. And yeah. In fact, I mean, we're going to touch on how he has become the influence for Norman Bates uh, and, then, and, and Psycho. Okay. All right. So Brutus is driving this a road trip. So Brutus, take it away. I, I do have to say this is the first time that Brutus really feels like he is the star of the show. I mean, no Caesar. It's all Brutus. All right, so I'm going to take us around. So I'm going to actually start by painting the scene. Okay. Okay, so imagine the police arrive at a small farm town um, in a small farm in Plainville, Wisconsin. They inch their way into the first structure that they find when they come across on this small property. And on the edge, there's a small shed. Um, Inside, they find what would be now known as the horror show that everybody remembers um, so investigators discover a body of a woman who had been decapitated, hung upside down by the ropes, but at her wrists with a crowbar at her ankles and the torso was dressed out like that of a deer. And she had been shot with a 22 caliber rifle and the mutations, all the stuff, the mutilations that you saw, they were all performed after death. Now, when you say dressed out for people who aren't familiar with this term, yeah, because we come from a rural rural area, Correct. so we know that. So we're when we say dressed out, we mean cut from one end of the torso to the next with the insides kind of brought outward so the body can be able to dry itself out. And, and generally this is done with animals to process them so you can eat the meat after you've hunted them. Okay, okay. So it was spooky, spooky. Imagine just walking in and seeing this de- decapitated body hanging from the rafters. Okay. And you're just like, oh, this was... A nice farm prior to this moment. Was it? So the investigators say, who owns this farm? And naturally, the owner of the farm is Mr. Ed Gein. So let's talk a little bit about the early childhood of Mr. Gein. He was born in Wisconsin to two parents, uh, George and Augusta Gein. 
both natives to Wisconsin, and they had two sons, Henry and Ed. And uh, Ed, you know, Edward Theodore Gein, born to Augusta, who really wanted a daughter. And this is kind of where the mommy dearest moment starts kicking in. Baby's just born, and she's already hating on it. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of like an instant, ooh, you're not my favorite. Right. Um, I don't even want you, kind of sounds like. No, but oddly, she pours all of her hopes and dreams into Ed and really tries to get that daughter that she wanted still out of him. Oh, no. Yeah, and you'll see how that plays out in his psychology and, you know, the murders uh, a little later on. Okay. So, despite Augusta's deep contempt for her husband... um. The marriage persisted because the family's religious beliefs said that they couldn't get divorced. I mean, let's so add that they into hated there. each other. They hated each other. And, and, and in fact, we're going to dive into this because George uh, Gein was actually not a bad person, but viewed very much as a weak person by his wife. Okay. Um, she is that overarching matriarchal figure, but not only is she against male figures, she's against female figures equally. Okay. And so poor uh, George, you know, he's just seen as this weak person by his wife, and so he turns to the bottle. Okay. And so George, uh, it doesn't take long before uh, George becomes an alcoholic, and that is kind of the start of him checking out of Ed's life and Augusta really taking the control over raising of these two kids. Okay. So she belittles the husband. She's hating on child not a little girl she and she equally hates both sexes so she's got a lot of hate and rage in this one person absolutely and she she operated a small uh grocery store so she came into contact with a lot of people um but eventually they kind of picked up all of that and they moved over to plainfield and over there they set up a farmhouse and that became their permanent family residence Okay. This is, you know, this is it. This is the place where all of the horrors, the horror story, what we saw at the beginning happen. Okay. So let's talk why she moved. You, we were kind of talking about that overbearing, overarching motherly figure. Right. But what does that really look like? In fact, she moved her whole family and her kids out to that farm so they would be further away from any influences of anybody else. So she wanted total domination. Yeah, isolating them to the point where they weren't able to make any friends. Basically, Ed only left the premises to go to school. He skied school. Um, he spent most of his time doing chores on the farm and, and caring and listening to his mother. So no friends, no other family. I mean, that's it. Did she drag him to church? Well, even better, she does homeschooling church, basically. Oh, no. <laughs> yes, being a crazy Lutheran, um, she preached to her boys nonstop about the innate mor- immorality of the world. And uh, even worse, he definitely talked about the specific evils of being a woman, and including herself, and that any woman would be a prostitute or instruments of uh. the devil. Why would she do that to her own ladies? Well, and it's sad because, I mean, she really keeps all the friends away, and then this person wants to have a healthy relationship down the road, you would think, and no, no healthy relationships. Not if you're painting every woman as a prostitute or a, a something of... An instrument of the devil. Uh, okay. <laughs> That's a little extreme. It is exceptionally extreme. I mean, can't say I disagree sometimes, but... No. Okay. <laughs> but you know, it's really interesting. She reserved time every afternoon to read to them from the Bible, usually selecting very graphic verses from the Old Testament, dealing with death, murder, and divine retribution. Jesus Christ. 
So they don't know anything else. They're not allowed to watch TV. They're not allowed to meet people. They're not allowed to do anything. They're locked on this farm. And the only information coming in and out of them comes from mom. Damn it. So you could imagine where, you know, their skewed view of things um, comes from. Right. But let's add one more added layer of complexity. Poor Ed was actually born with an effeminate demeanor. Exactly like mom wanted. He's got like a little sachet to his walk. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's definitely something a little bit more different to him from the other boys, per se. Okay. And that becomes noticed very quickly by the other boys. And so um, as a child, he becomes the victim and target of several different bullies. And classmates and teachers often recall his off-putting, like, defense mechanism, which would just be to laugh crazily, randomly. Oh, oh. Yeah, if that's not foretelling of things that you no, could see coming down the road. just some random chuckle in the middle of silence. Yeah, and it says as a direct quote, as if he were laughing at his own personal jokes. Oh, God. So, I he's mean. He's talking to himself. He's planning. He's plotting already. I think he's creating that friend that mom never let him have. <laughs> He's just doing it in his head. Developing a second personality. Absolutely. So what makes it worse is mom scolded him anytime that he tried to make friends. And despite poor social development, he did fairly well at school, particularly in reading. He was really well at reading. Okay. So, you know, Gein tried to make his mother happy. And so she was very happy to see that he never really tried to make friends after those initial attempts. Right. And really became... Um, kind of in the pocket of mom. And she often abused them, believing that they were destined to become failures like their father if she didn't intervene with such a tough physical hand. So basically she beat them. Yeah, into submission. Oh, and into her beliefs, you know, into her radical re- religious beliefs. So during their teens and throughout their early childhood, the boys uh, remained detached from people outside of the farmstead And they only had each other for company, as well as mom. And one time, Augusta found Ed playing with himself in the bathtub. Oh, no, So now we're going to touch on sexual development. So he's playing with himself in the bathtub, common thing for boys. But you should save that at night when mommy can't watch or walk in. Yeah, and I think that, again, just shows kind of how omnipresent she always was. Like, most parents would not go into the bathroom where their kid was anyways. and bathing. But she had no problem with that. So her response to watching him and catching him in this act was to pour hot water on him and his lower region to teach him a lesson about his own morality. Oh, my God. What a crazy bitch. Yeah, pretty wild, right? I. That's understating it. And that, that is early childhood. We haven't even oh. got to death of family members or anything. So let's dive into that. You know, the death of family members. Okay. We're going to start with the death of poor dad. So George. George died of a heart attack in 1940. But they believe that actually it was a consequence of his drinking. Okay. So poor George finally was able to drink himself out of this misery, misery that he had been living. Um, sadly, the two boys could not. So what did the boys do? They began working odd jobs um, to try to to make ends meet on the farm. And both of them were considered to be really reliable and honest to the residents of the community. They actually ended up really enjoying them despite their odd, macabre um, demeanor and behavior. Right. Their anti-I-don't-know-how-to-be-sociable behaviors. Yeah, but oddly appealing to older people. Okay. Right? And so both of them worked as handymen, but Ed... Ed, man, 
he actually was frequently used as a babysitter. No. Yes, he enjoyed babysitting, actually. And I think he Jesus got along Christ. well with those people with the lower development. What the hell are people thinking? Well, it's we're they about to know. hit World War II, so a lot of things are going on. Uh, I don't know. Go ahead. I just, uh. Well, and actually, it's it's interesting because we're going to talk about some things from World War II that he later passes off as being very benign. Okay. So we'll come back to that. But yeah, so basically, you know, he found it that it was easy to relate to the younger children versus adults or his peers. And as a 16-year-old youth, so this is where it gets kind of scary, a 16-year-old youth who were friends with the parents and a youth who was frequently babysat by Ed would talk about how he went over to the house and he started noticing that there were some different things at the house. And this is later on during the investigation, but this is one of the kids that he had babysat. He talked a lot about shrunken heads. And the materials that Ed would like to read about massacre and torture and murder all across the world. So the kids get dropped off at Ed's house for how many hours? I mean, I don't know what people are doing in the 1940s. It's not like... That they need a babysitter. Correct. (laughs) Get them off the farm for a little bit. (laughs) Again, we're gearing up for a war here. Well, not... Ish. Yeah. And... He sees shrunken heads. He's seeing the the kids are seeing these books. They report back to mommy and daddy. What does mommy and daddy do? Well, Gein comes out of nowhere and just says, hey, don't worry about any of that. Those are just shrunken heads from the Philippines that I got back when we served in World War II. So get in mind, you know, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but I did want to interject in there that while we had babysitting some youth, they were noticing some weird things too and reporting it along the way. So does that mean Ed actually joined like the army? Yes. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so he joins, um, well, and actually those shrunken heads in particular um, came from, um, a cousin who had been in the Philippines during World War II. So, so they're not from his experience. Okay, okay. No. And in fact, we find out that those shrunken heads are not really shrunken heads. Oh. We'll get to that in the investigation <laughs> okay. of the house. So Henry Gein began to reject it. So this is brother Henry. Henry began to reject his mother's view of the world and worried about his brother Ed's attachment to her. Um, he spoke ill of his mom around his brother, and Ed eventually supported mom against Henry, and that kind of led Henry to leaving the family and starting his own family. But that is not the end of these kind of twisted ties between the two brothers. On May 16, 1944, a brush fire burned close to the farm, and the Gein brothers went to extinguish it, but Henry did not come back. The guy that got out? Yeah, yeah. You know, we we couldn't allow him to say that about Uh. mom. So reportedly, but reportedly, you know, the brothers were separated as the night fell, and Ed lost sight of his brother. When the fire was extinguished, he reported to the police that his brother was missing. When the search party was organized, Ted led him right to the body of his dead brother, who laid on the ground. The police had concerns about the circumstances under which the body was discovered, but ultimately, they let it go. The ground next to Henry had been untouched by the fire, and there had been bruises on his head. So he goes to fight fire, he's nowhere near fire, and he has bruises on his head. And the other, other, well, what was the cause of death? So they said that the county coroner listed it as asphyxiation. So someone strangled him. Fire asphyxiation. Uh, okay. 
And some investigators suspected Ed, um, but no charges were filed. Oh, okay, there you go. Interesting, right? Um, so after his brother's death, what does Ted do now? Or what does Ed do now? After his brother's death, Ed lived alone with his mother, who died in December 29th, 1945. So a year later. A year later, following a series of strokes, at which time he said that he lost his only friend and his one true love, and that he was absolutely alone in the world. One true love. Yeah, creepy, right? Is there any evidence, or did he ever talk about a sexual relationship with his mother? You know, I definitely think that there's a lot of evidence towards physical abuse, but not any, because she thought it was so perverted, so she wouldn't even do it on her own kids. Uh So that's, like, the interesting fact is, like, all these things are so amoral to him that um, engaging in them, you'll never see that he, he abuses or rapes anybody. He doesn't do any of those things. He's trying to assume personalities. Okay, okay. And that will come out across more when you hear about the bodysuit. So what happens now? What what happened when Augusta died? Um, in fact, her last words that were to um, Ed were all about how the neighbor lady was a harlot and a whore um, <laughs> and was dating somebody else and shouldn't do anything and just like, and now I'm dead. Like, those oh were the God. final words. Like, have a good one, Ed, and everyone's a whore and I'm out. Oh, my God. <laughs> this bitch is crazy. For reals. So what does he do? He's alone on the farm, right? And and everybody's gone. His brother he killed, supposedly. Now you Dad, said his, mom, gone. Okay, but you said the brother came and had his own family. Yes. Did the wife ever try? I, Absolutely. But it just never, nothing led back to Ed because it was just so out of character for this quiet, benign. But he knew where the body was. But that's Hello? the whole thing. And you'll see that through this is he becomes this not obvious suspect by the way that he operates in plain day. I mean, he's isolated in the farm, so he sees nobody. He's quiet. He keeps to himself. He has no connections that could possibly dime him out or do a good old-fashioned Brutus backstab. <laughs> so, I mean, who's going to get but him? But he led the two. I mean, that's it. You, how did you know where the body was? Great question. All right. Great question. So what does he do now that he's all alone? Well, he starts to board up the rooms that mom used in the farm. So the first one that he boarded up was the ones upstairs, the downstairs parlor, the living room, leaving them completely untouched and as a shrine to exactly how she left them. Where did he live then in the house? He lived in a tiny small room off of the kitchen, and he spent most of his time in that room or in the kitchen. That's it. So he basically shuts down the house. Yes, and and really kind of locks himself away from the rest of the pieces of the house and only uses those rooms to re-engage in the memory of his mom. Oh. Terrible, right? At at this point, he starts getting all of that death literature, that death cult literature that the the boys are starting to see. Right, okay. And at this point, we're about to lead into the arrest, but at this point, he's also collecting some other things from some very interesting places. That, uh, How was he aware of all these places if he was basically isolated and secluded all his life? So let's dive into the arrest, and then we'll hear about where he's getting all of these things in his confession. Okay, go ahead. So yeah, let's talk about the arrest before we really dive into kind of where he's acquiring all of these these things and these body parts. and Body parts? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so on November 16th, 1957, a hardware store owner named Bernice Warden disappeared, and the police had reason to suspect Dean. 
So why did they have a reason to suspect him? Warden's son had told the investigators that Gein had been in the store the evening before the disappearance, saying that he would return the following morning for a gallon of antifreeze. A cell slip for the gallon of antifreeze was the last receipt written by Warden the morning of her disappearance. Okay, so people knew he was supposed to be there, and he was there for exactly what he said he was going to purchase. And so what did they do? They start investigating and show up to the house. So back to our scene at the very beginning of this. They show up in a small shed on the property, and they find a body hanging from the rafters. That is unfortunately Miss Warden's body that is hanging from the rafters. It's upside down, yes? Yeah, so she's hanging again, opened up like she was a deer. Yes. Okay. Still dressed is what we call it. And she is decapitated. They later find the head inside his house. Um, but we'll get to that. Okay. So that body, like I said, that was found hanging on the shed was Miss Warden's body. So inside the house, let's talk about, you know, the horrors that they found. Um, inside the house, the authorities found four noses, a whole whole human bones and fragments, nine masks of human skin. Any idea what those might have been? The shrunken heads that oh. the boys had seen? So they're actually skinned faces that were placed on a mannequin so he could wear them. Oh, my God. And all of his victims are female. Keep that in mind. And, but Where we'll, is he finding these women? I mean, it's still small-town America. Agreed. Agreed. All of his victims were female except for two hunters. They were male. But you'll see that the things that he took from them were things that he could later string into creating an image of a woman that he could assume. So what does that look like? Bowls were made from human skulls. Ten female heads with tops sawed off were found. Human skin covering several chair sheets, so literally furniture. Out of human skin. Out of human skin. This is something that the Nazis did, which was part of the literature that he found. Oh, my God. um, But very common of that time period. Mary Hogan, so this is another one of his victims, Miss Mary Hogan. She was found with her head in a paper bag. And Bernice Warden's head was found in a burlap sap. Um, Nine vulva was found in a shoebox. There were skulls on all four of his bedposts. There were organs and other pieces of flesh neatly packaged in the refrigerator and the freezer. Wonder what that was for. In the refrigerator? Yeah, and they have not proven whether or not he was eating those bodies or if he was just giving them out to local people. Because people in the community would know often that he would bring them packages of deer meat that he had just hunted. And now they're wondering whether or not that that was deer meat or not. Because supposedly, Ed was notorious for not wanting to kill big animals. It was like his line. Oh, my God. So they're like, what did you just give me if it wasn't deer? Oh, my God. So that has not been confirmed, but it's widely suspected that he was. Why did he, he have the vulvas in a shoebox? So again, he's trying to assume, and we haven't quite got to it yet, but he is going to unveil, and what we're going to find is this bodysuit that he is making of these different pieces of this women so he can put on and pretend to be his mother. Oh my God. Back to the woman that he always wanted. I mean, there was there was a pair of lips on the drawstrings for the window shades. A I mean, pair there was of lips. there was a belt made out of female nipples. There was a lampshade <laughs> made of skin of a face, and all these artifacts were f- uh, photographed at the crime scene. And then the property was destroyed. You know, I, I just this is disgusting. 
I, I mean, just all these body parts, just part of his decor as well. His draw window drawstring, his chair. I mean, belts made out of nipples. That's creative. That is. That is Martha Stewart, oh like serial killer meets Martha Stewart oh right there. <laughs> but I do have to say, you know, those aren't even some of the, the scariest. You haven't asked the right questions yet, I guess. Oh, okay. Where are we getting these body parts? I know. I asked. Where are, we getting I said, where are the women coming from? I mean, this is still small town America. And People I, who are disappearing, they sh- women who are disappearing from their homes, from their farms. I, where is he getting these women? So if he's not getting them from live people, because what we know is that we have two murders here, Mary Hogan and Bernice Warden. And I told you guys before that there was two other male victims that were two hunters in the area. Right. So where is he getting all these body parts? Well, when investigated. (coughs) So when investigated, he admitted to making as many as 40 nocturnal visits to at least three local graveyards to exhume the bodies, buried bodies there, and he said he did it in a trance-like, daze-like state of being. From those 40 visits, he said on 30 of them, he woke up from that vision and said, I don't need this, and left the um, grave untouched with the body still there. On the other 10, He's brought home stuff to make all of that lovely decor in his home, home decor. that you have. Yeah. Um, became so admiring. The of. Ed home game decor uh, contour. Oh, gosh. And it just sounds Fashion so nasty. Line. Oh, my God. So he dug up the graves of recently buried middle-aged women, meeting the stereotype and the model of his mom. Mother. Um, and he took the skins off of those bodies and began to tie them together, tanning them, doning them um, into what would be called that bodysuit. So he could relive, they say it's an insane transvestite-like um, ritual, but it is all to become that person. Because he didn't, he couldn't actually make a personality, right? He didn't have anything. Mom didn't let him have anything. The only thing that he had was her personality, and so that's what he's trying to assume now that she's and gone. Emulate is that so, personality? Okay, this sounds like Buffalo Bill. Oh, and we're getting there. Okay. okay, so another one of those influences that Ed had inspired was exactly Buffalo Bill from a Silence of the Lambs. Okay, and so if you remember a little bit about that story, they say that if if they would have known that Henry was Ed's real first victim maybe Silence of the Lambs would have looked a little differently. Right, because if they had actually investigated that, you know what I remember most from that movie? I mean, so one of the main things I remember, obviously, from that movie is Ted Levine. I mean, he was just perfect, absolutely perfect. But, you know, he's standing in that mirror, and he's like, I'd fuck me. And I think he's even got his arms spread out and... yeah. And Ed wanted to be a like he wanted a sex change so bad, but that wasn't something not even available in the no, 40s. or even really talked about, right? And right. so, what does he do? He takes on, you know, I'm going to make my own. And so, back to those shrunken heads that we were talking about, they confirmed that those shrunken heads were actually faces really like skillfully cut off of cadavers that he would use as a face mask to become a woman. Oh my god. And then he had breasts, like different breasts were sewn together to make this bodysuit. 
So he was trying to emulate or recreate mom, basically. Yeah, and then he wanted to step into that to live out kind of that perspective. Be the mom. Yeah, which is, I think, just even creepier. Just a hair creepier. The big question is whether or not he – does he sleep with any of these bodies? Does he do anything of that nature? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And arguably, they say that he is denied having sex with any of the bodies. I told you, you know, he's not really – Sexual in nature. That doesn't seem to be his deviancy. So he's not sexually driven. No, he's definitely driven by like this view of becoming the thing that has always kind of tortured him or eluded him in becoming, which was or mom. Dominated him. Or dominated him. He wanted to become the person of power instead of the person being victimized. Okay. That makes sense. I mean. And he said the body smelled too bad. So you know there's that. Oh. Yeah, that's like a direct quote. Okay. They smelled too bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I don't know how long those his victims were, you know, buried. Yeah, decomposing. Correct. I'm not sure what he expected. Yeah, I, I don't really know either. But so what prompted the investigation was actually that the death of Mary Hogan. Um, she was a tavern operator and she went missing in 1954. So if you remember, that's when the investigation started. And like I said, those shrunken heads were definitely the mass of some of the cadavers that he's pulled up. So when all the sheriffs show up and they see all this, what happens? Well, the sheriff loses his effing mind. Like, he just loses his well, who mind. who wouldn't? I know. So he just, like, he's like, I, we're a small town. We've never seen anything like this. So he actually physically assaults Ed, smashing his head on the ground, all this stuff, which uh, uh, leads to his ability to ask for a mistrial due to the fact that his initial confession was under duress. So that happens. And then our sheriff, who smashes the head, Mr. Art Sheely, dies of a heart attack at the age over, of 43. Over the astonished, the horrifying astonishment of the situation? Yeah, when asked why, one of his friends said that he was a victim of Ed Gein as surely as he had butchered him himself. I believe that. I mean, you caused this, you killed all these people. In a time where this is not something that's not the norm. And then we send in people who are not prepared for this type of crime. Absolutely. I mean, and it's not the world that they were living in by any stretch no. of the imagination. No, no, no. I mean, I mean granted, okay, this is post-World War II or at almost at the end of World War II. But again, this is still small-town America. And these people who are in small-town America and supporting the troops... They're not uh, accustomed to the atrocities that they're finding in Europe. No. So, I mean, that's huge. Yeah, there's just, like, layers and layers of psychology between the 40s and 50s that lead to this. I mean, the closed-minded standards around homosexuality or or just really any type of sexual education or anything that would been done in the schools mm -hmm. to kind of counteract mom's at home religious trite you know <laughs> yeah so anything like that that we've kind of put in place in modern days he was not afforded it at all no not even remotely close no and that just kind of led to this i can't form an identity at all i need to form i need to assume an identity right and, and the only identity i have is my mother's yeah so just creepy creepy oh, and God. so what what happened when he went to trial he was arraigned on one count of first-degree murder, and he pled not guilty due to insanity. So the, he was found mentally incompetent and was unfit to stand trial. This was in 1957. In 1968, Gein's doctor determined that he was sane enough to stand trial, and the trial began November 14th, 
1968, lasting one week. So justice might get served. Let's see. Yeah, he was found guilty of that first-degree murder. He was found to be legally insane and spent the rest of his life in a mental hospital. So two things. Yes, they validated that he was mentally insane, and they validated that he did commit at least one of the murders that he was charged for. Whose murder was that? Uh, I think it was of Bernice's. The one who was hanging up and down. Okay. Yes, and the one that we had enough evidence that we mentioned before around the receipt that was in the store and all of that stuff. It seemed to be that that was a little easier of a case. Right. Aftermath. Okay. So on March twenty or 20th, 1958, while Gein was arrested, his house burnt down. So the farm... Everything that the family had left burnt to the ground at this point. Was that accident neighbor or? So arson was suspected, but when Gein was told of the incident, he was like, well, just as well. What did the families, again, this might be outside your research, but I mean, if I heard that my beloved family member was dug up to make this bodysuit, did anybody, I mean, was, isn't that illegal? Isn't digging up a body illegal? Tampering with dead bodies. It is. Grave robbing is definitely illegal. It was interesting because they didn't actually believe that he could single-handedly dig up graves in a single evening, all those different graves. So they exhumed two of the graves that he said he had dug up, and they found them to be completely empty. Okay. So you're, we're talking about whether or not it, what it looked like and how it happened. If we didn't know what the bodies were, you wouldn't be digging back up those corpses to take a look to see if the bodies were in there. And so to be able to get – he didn't remember the tombstone names. Um, he just would tell you that he had an idea of who was buried or he'd go looking for fresh graves after okay. an older lady would have died. So I don't know how many families actually really know – their mom is missing. That the that the grave sites were defiled. And this is the 1940s. There's absolutely no DNA. No. That's not even on the spectrum at this point in time. Not at all. And, you know, just to show you kind of the weird fixation around these things for that time period, Gein's car was bought that same year that the farm burnt down by an attra- a sideshow operator named Bunny Gibbons. Right. And Gibbons later charged carnival goers 25 cents. To see his car. To see and sit in the car that transported the dead bodies from the grave to the farm. Okay. So, I mean, there's like a weird fixation around this. Like, I I think it's it's an intrigue. This is the time of sideshows and freak shows and that kind of stuff. But it wasn't enough like we actually cared about maybe identifying all those victims. And like you said, there's also the side of it that's a lack of a DNA. Right. But, I mean, they could have dug up the whole entire cemetery. How forthcoming was he? How forthcoming was he when – did he cooperate with the investigation? So he wasn't – I wouldn't say that he was necessarily the most cognitive human being in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, So there really wasn't much that you could get out of him. When they said that he was legally insane, I mean, he – had experienced nothing but trauma his whole life. So, well, did he ever say why he took these two ladies? Well, he, yes. So, he wasn't sociopathic. Like, there was no part of him that was doing this to show that he could do this. Okay. I mean, he picked victims that were not going to be able to fight him back. So, why did he pick the two victims, you asked? He picked them because he saw them as those direct depictions of those amoral characters, their mom. That mom was talking about. I believe Warden was a... She was the owner, so she was the dominating... Well, she was actually a mistress. 
in the past. And she was a lady of the night and but turned, you know, hardware owner. Yeah, like a a hoe into a housewife, you know, it just (laughs) we slowly turned her into something, something a little different owner or whatever. Uh, (laughs) And then we also had our tavern owner and she was a brothel owner before she was a tavern. Oh, my God. And so between all of those things, I wonder if mother provided their history to to Ed and was like, those are the whores. She seemed to be like pointing them out often. So if yeah. he was taking a list of them, I'm sure he had. I didn't realize there were so many whores in the 1940s. <laughs> I okay. mean, it seems like everybody was turning tricks. I was on a s- another segment, <laughs> and it <laughs> seems like that was a very common thing as well. <laughs> oh my god, yes. So what happened to Gene in 1984? Gene died of a respiratory and heart failure due to cancer. His grave site. In Plainfield Cemetery is often vandalized, and souvenirs have chipped off pieces of his gravestone. Oh, no. They actually took his gravestone for a while. That was in 2000, and it was returned in 2001. It was found in Seattle. Kind of different, kind of weird. Um, but, you know, to round this out, what have we learned, and where are the impacts of this man's life on our life? And what kind of starts the conversation of Mommy Dearest is actually, in fact, Mr. Ed Gein. <laughs> and how so? Let's talk about some of the important pop culture people that he's influenced. Well, like Buffalo Bill. I mean, and to be honest, I mean, uh, Silence is a Lamb has two very cultural favorite quotes. Again, I'd fuck me. Yeah. And then the other one. Is my personal favorite. It puts the yeah, the rubs lotion the lotion on, on the skin, or else or it gets, gets the hose again. Yes, <laughs> which is uh, interesting because again, it's a female character that they're dominating, and almost getting this female character to do the things that he wishes he could do with his female body. Right. Very interesting, right? And right. that's kind of the same thing as putting on this bodysuit of people and living out your dreams of being your mom for. A half second. Right. But who else did he inspire? We talked about Norman Bates. Yes, we did. We're talking about someone else with mommy issues. We're going to land at Norman Bates. If you haven't seen Psycho, Norman Bates is also raised by an over-domineering mom. And Norma Bates leads her son down the path of also becoming a serial killer. But he tends to be far more charismatic about how he goes about these He's things. a little more sociable. <laughs> yes. Yes. And he's a little bit more suave and darish than Ed would be. Ed, Ed, I'm sure, would actually be pretty flattered and also jealous by being compared to Norman. Okay. Because it's definitely not the person that he was. Mm-hmm. But what's so interesting, again, is that weird mommy dearest relationship between Norman and Norma. Right. Um, our last one, and as you guys might have guessed from maybe all the body parts and hanging things and the rafters and all of that, but that might have sounded a little bit like Leatherface from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Okay, I've actually never seen that movie. Really? Yes. Oh for, my god! It's for as terrifying. big as a horror a horror film fan as I am, and you know it, mm-hmm. I've never seen that movie. So to set the stage, there, small town, Texas. Roll up on a farm, these people who are like, oh, my car's broken down. I'm going to investigate this farm. Bad idea. Terrible. But they do. And as they're investigating that farm, they find out that there's bodies hanging from the rafters. There's They walk into the house of horrors that looks very similar to the one that I described to you earlier. So body parts everywhere, filleting people, full limbs. Nipple belts. 
Not quite. That was more imaginative okay. than the movie was ready for, I think. But more inventive. Uh-huh. Really terrible things. And the main character there also wears a face to try to assume a different personality than what he is. So, again, another connection back to that. But, you know, if you guys want to watch a a more direct adaptation of Gein's story, there's one called Deranged. That was from the 70s. There's a light in the light of the moon that was done in the 2000s that was later retitled Ed Gein for the U.S. market. And then there's also Ed Gein, the Butcher of Plainfield, which was done in 2007. And that one, if I remember correctly, looks a little bit more like watching the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, just like directly. (laughs) So So why did he take the leap from dead bodies dead victims to live victims did were there certain parts he was looking for you know if i had to make a guess and i don't really have that too definitively but you know if i if brutus had to make a good old-fashioned brutus guess i would say that it had something to do with also carrying on mom's mission of removing some of those harlots out of this world okay and so when he was triggered by deciding that these ladies were harlots they became targets at that point and then he just was kind of like, oh, well, I'll have your body here. <laughs> you would look good as the stomach of mm-hmm. my mother mother body suit. <laughs> right. But so he didn't have any qualms about using harlot body parts for dear old mother? No, 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 no. Okay. Because remember, mom thought of herself even as a prostitute right. or an instrument of the That's devil. Right. So it's top down. It's not, We were terrible people from the top down. Right. <laughs> there was no redeeming qualities. <laughs> About any of us, even myself. Yeah, poor Ed, though, man. Jesus Christ. And it all started with Mommy Not So Dearest Augusta and her Bible-thumping, psychotic ways. Over-controlling ways. Yes. Hey, I mean, for reals, if you're not teaching your kids that there's a proper way to have healthy relationships, they're going to find a whole lot of unhealthy ones. Apparently. Nipple belts and all. And several different graves. Yes. Okay, wow, that was a lot. That was an immense a lot, a lot. Um, shifting from nipple belts to Facebook. I don't I don't have a good transitions for that. There's no transitions. Face mask to Facebook. <laughs> yes, there you go. Where the Dark Corners Are has a Facebook page. If you are interested or curious, take a look, send me a request. However, if you have a place that you would someday like to see where their dark corners are or have a specific tourist attraction of mine or another not-so-mommy-dearest slash Buffalo Bill situation that you'd like to hear about, send me an email at wherethedarkcornersare at gmail.com. All right, Brutus, final thoughts? Oh, my gosh. Okay, I think my final thought overall, and, you know, Brutus, if you know anything about Brutus, actually, Brutus was adopted by Caesar, and Caesar was, like, his pseudo-dad. That's his own said, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, take it from someone who doesn't have a great mom, maybe, <laughs> perhaps. Okay, so my final thought is, one, if you're a mother, don't be overbearing. Don't strangle your kid's life out, or they'll strangle the life out of other kids. Okay. And my other thought is, if you're going to bury the bodies, bury them deep. I even think uh, Gein, as his last wishes, were bury my body deep because otherwise it will be robbed. Okay, and from the grave robber himself. So until next time, please remember, only the few can find the beauty in the darkness, which is why I hope to meet you where the dark corners are. (laughs) 